there is no temple mm. in the new creation. God and the Lamb are the temple. So I think John helps us interpret Ezekiel so that we recognize, no, the fulfillment of Ezekiel's promise is not the building of a physical temple on earth. No, the fulfillment of that promise is in the new creation when, the, when God and the Lamb fill the whole, and, and the Spirit too, I don't want to leave out the Spirit, fill the whole universe. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we have an exciting book club episode. We have another repeat guest, our friend Dr. Tom Schreiner on and he's going to be talking about his new book, The Joy of Hearing, A Theology of the Book of Revelation. It's the first book in the series of New Testament theology published by Crossway. It's also edited by Brian Rosner. And so uh, just a few reminders about some show notes we got before we jump into today's episode. We have a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. That's a group of other podcasts out there that are reform-based, which we are a member of. So if you enjoy our show, you enjoy our content and the doctrines we explain, you'll probably enjoy those shows as well. There's also a couple links to find a church near you, a church, a local church finder. So you can type in your zip code and find the closest reformed church in your area. And then you'll also find a link to Crossway where you can find this book and the other books in this series of New Testament theology, as well as other books we've had on the show and more information about Dr. Schreiner. So we're going to jump into today's episode, further introduce Dr. Schreiner and talk more about his book, The Joy of Hearing, A Theology of the Book of Revelation. Yeah. So we have Dr. Tom Schreiner. If you guys haven't listened to our, our episode, it came out sometime in January on his book, his commentary on the book of on the book of Hebrews, but he's the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation and Professor of Biblical Theology and Associate Dean of the School of Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's written or edited, edited multiple books, <clears throat> but we are very excited to have you back on to talk about this book, which I liked in your introduction to this book, you talked about this can be a scary book for a lot of people who don't know it um, or haven't read through it <clears throat> or been told certain things about it. But I'm excited to have you on to help us kind of explain the theology behind this book. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's great. Great to be with you again, Peter and Nick. Um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we were we were emailing before about this book, and it was it was interesting. This is this is not a, a typical commentary. So it's not a verse by verse commentary in the book of Revelation. So if, if you can describe what you're doing in this book as it relates to kind of pulling the doctrine from Revelation, how would you describe how you wrote this and kind of like what, like what does this book do? Yeah, I wanted to kind of capture what are the main themes of the book? I, I feel like with a lot of people get tripped up when they come into Revelation or what, what's going on in the book. But I wanted to say, look, the main themes of the book are really themes we find elsewhere in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Yeah. Themes like judgment and uh, the doctrine of God as creator, Christ as redeemer, the spirit as revealer, uh, the need for perseverance, and uh, the, the, our final reward uh, and, and, the, and the final judgment. So those are kind of, you know, I, I mentioned those themes. I mean, really... That captures almost everything that's in the mm -hmm. book of Revelation, mm -hmm. but it's clothed, right? It's clothed in this apocalyptic dress. Mm 
Yeah. So that apocalyptic symbolic language, uh, it can kind of make us think, well, this book is really, really different. And and I'm I'm not I'm not denying. Look, there's <laughs> yeah. some hard yeah. passages in the book. Yep. Yep. And that uh, I'm not I'm not claiming in my little book to solve all the problems in Revelation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I am saying, hey, this the main the main themes of the book we can all understand. Hmm. There's the, the, we, the main themes of the book. It's not really anything in a startlingly new. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. What what a good way to start a. A series is talking about the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's it's, yeah. It's funny. It's a, a brand new series from Crossway that we're, we're starting at the end, and then maybe kind of working our way backwards from that. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah, the first book. In the <laughs> yeah. It's the last book. Yeah. Right. Hey, but that that grabs people's attention. I mean, I think end times, Book of Revelation, all that stuff is always very interesting. There's a lot of dialogue and debate on it. Um, what is your hope prayer um, that you that you're going to deliver from this book for um, just even if it's edification of the saints or introduction of new doctrine to people that have no idea about um, this stuff? What is your hope? I think John. Why did John write this book? probably more than one reason, but yeah. I'd like to double down on the pastoral reason. Mm-hmm. He wrote it to seven churches in Asia Minor. And when we read those seven letters in chapters two and three, most of the churches are struggling with, uh, with compromise. Mm-hmm. They're in danger of compromising with the world. So, so John wrote this letter to motivate believers living in a adverse and tough society to hang in there to persevere to not to not compromise to not compromise with the with the world you know let's say don't compromise in john's framework with the unholy trinity you know which is which is the devil the dragon the first beast and the second beast the false prophet so they're they're exerting a lot of influence on the church the church is facing oppression persecution so, so John, John's not like writing, oh, I think I want to write a fabulous theology of the end times. Hmm. He, he's writing to encourage Christians to hang in there. And I think that speaks to us today. You know, even in the United States, I think we sense in a more uh, profound way, we're, we're a minority. Hmm. We as believers, we, not that we're being persecuted in you know, dramatic ways, but we're, but it could happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, we're, we're a minority in this world. And John helps us to uh, understand what it means to be a minority. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even with the, so I, I know, <laughs> I know some publishers, when you, when you propose a title, it may not be the title that you actually get with some of these books, but with the joy of hearing, it's not what you expect. I think what most people expect when they think about the book of revelation, they think end time stuff. So why, it, if this is probably some sort of dialogue, but why, why the title in this kind of theme of joy of hearing throughout the book of revelation? Yeah. You know, if I remember correctly, that was my title. Oh, you actually got your first. Yeah. You actually got your choice, mm. uh, which is super rare. Yeah, that is almost every book I've written, except for, you know, if it's a commentary Romans or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but, but almost yeah. every book I've written, and I'm probably for good reasons they've changed my title. <laughs> yeah, but you know the the book the book begins right. Blessed is the one chapter one verse three. Blessed are, are the one who reads and those those who hear. So there's a blessed blessedness to hearing. And I just took that metaphor and said, you know, and and we have in all the seven letters, uh, they end like with a admonition to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's a danger, right, when we read the book of Revelation of not hearing the message, of mm. stopping our ears to the message. Yeah. So, um, but hearing for John isn't just hearing, but true hearing leads to doing. So I, I pitched it, that title, uh, again, for the pastoral, pragmatic uh, focus of the book. 
Because again, I think most people don't think of the book that way. They think of it as, well, here's uh, here's uh, prophecies about the end. Yeah. But but John's writing as as uh, I think I think the Apostle John is the author. Yep. yep. Uh, that, that's debated, but um, yeah. I think the Apostle John is writing as as their as their apostle and pastor. Yeah. And so attached to that question, what was another one? So you talked about apocalyptic is, is kind of the, the genre of this. And I think most people are thinking like the, the Black Hawk helicopters are going around and the missiles flying around and, and things are going crazy with apocalypticism. And you, you talk about a little bit, there's this, there's this three pronged approach that you have to the, to the genre, like an epistolary, a prophetic. So what, how, like, how should we be reading what John is writing? Like effectively, how is he presenting the book of revelation to us? Because it's not, I think how we modern thinkers think of apocalyptic, it has a different sense in how yeah. he's describing, which I think it has a little bit to do with, with your title too. So if you can kind of describe like, what, what is the book of revelation doing? How's it, how is it, how's it like, what's his genre? What, what does that mean to be an apocalyptic book? Yeah. Well, I think, I think I'd start by saying it does have uh, epistolary features. That yeah. is, it is a letter uh, there, I mean, there are epistolary sections in it, chapters yeah. two and three. Uh, you know, the book ends with grace to you. John writes to the seven churches, uh, which, why is that important? Because it's addressed to the situation of the readers. Hmm. So I think that dimension of the book reminds us, this is not newspaper eschatology. That, that's hmm. the wrong view. Right. What is newspaper eschatology? You understand prophecy by reading the newspaper. And a lot of people have done that. Right. But John expected the first readers to whom he wrote to those seven churches in Asia Minor. He expected them to understand the letter hmm. or the book, the book, I should say. Yeah, second, yeah. second, it's very interesting. John, John never calls the book apocalyptic. Hmm. Actually, he calls it a prophecy. Hmm. That's right. Uh, yeah. A number of times, right? Right from the outset. I'm the, I mean, the first word of the book is apocalypsis, the, the, which means revelation, the revelation yep. of Jesus Christ. But he's not talking about the genre of the book and saying mm. apocalypsis. But so I, I think it is a prophecy, but I agree with those who say it's it's prophetic apocalyptic. It's, yep. both, it's both together. And I've actually, you know, I've been, I've taught this in a lot of places and there, there are some people out there who, who argue this book is not apocalyptic. It's hmm. just prophecy. Hmm. Uh, I think that's a mistake, but, but here's what I want to say. In one way, I don't care what you call it. <laughs> yeah. If you want to say it's just a prophecy, fine. But my point is this book is laden with symbolism. Hmm. And more symbolism than you see in, say, uh, Amos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, who's an Old Testament prophet? Who's an Old Testament prophet? Yes. So, so for example, uh, you you have in chapter thirteen the beast. Yep. Well, should we take that literally? Nobody takes that literally. <laughs> yeah. But everybody recognizes that's a symbol. Hmm. It's a, so you have you have the vision. John sees a beast. So I think it's helpful to think of this. You have a, you have what's seen in the vision, and then you have the referent. What what's the referent? Now yeah. I would argue that the referent is is the Roman Empire. Yeah, but it's a political entity of some kind. Uh -huh. So sometimes sometimes discerning what that referent is is hard. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's relatively easy, but. But my main point is, look, all of us interpret this book symbolically. So, so you can't say, I think this is really important, you can't say interpret the book as literally as possible. Mm. You know, some people talk like that. Well, let's interpret the book as literally as possible. But the point is, the book is symbolic. You can't make a rule in advance about how to interpret it. That's right. Yeah, you have to let the book tell you how to read itself. <clears throat> Exactly, exactly. So, um, so it's really helpful to recognize we have, we have a, we have, it's visionary, it's symbolic. Uh. And uh, how, how do we read that symbolism? Good interpreters disagree, right? Mm. At places. Yeah. There are places where we disagree. But I think we can, 
I think there should be at least universal agreement. It's apocalyptic in what sense? Well, it's symbolic. I mean, we could talk about an, a, a number of other elements totally. of apocalyptic. Because yeah. usually in, a, in a apocalyptic, you have an angel mediates the revelation, yep. right? Yep. You see that. There's often other worldly journeys. Well, we see John go up to heaven. Yeah, we see visions. And I mean, they're, they're the numerology. So mm -hmm. this is a big parting of the ways, but I interpret most of the numbers symbolically. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. But, yeah, same here. Yep. <laughs> that's that's how we're being trained to do it, too. Some people don't, though. Yeah. And so that's that's a big debate. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's 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 helpful, like orientation around around interpreting this book, too. Yeah. Do you hint at any of the distinctions between some of the competing uh, views on on this, like the pre post millennial view or the millennial view? Do you hint at well, any of that? I have a chapter on the millennium. Yeah. Okay. Like towards the end. Yeah, I have one chapter on the millennium, but Revelation I twenty verses one through six. Yep. But I actually don't say what I think. Yep, <laughs> that's right. Yep. I don't. I don't commit myself, and I'm not trying to be coy. <laughs> the reason I don't commit myself is um, I'm. I've changed my mind so many times on the millennium. <laughs> yeah. I've struggled with it significantly that I just felt like okay, I'm just gonna let, leave it up to the reader to make make your own decision as a reader yeah totally uh, yeah i'm not you know i'm not very pre-millennialism on millennialism there's a new view out there relatively new called new creation millennialism i think uh. those are all quite viable i'm not i've never been inclined towards post-millennialism yeah but here's the thing i wish that's of right all, of all the views i wish post-millennialism were true <laughs> yeah. yeah you want things to get really good at the end yeah that would be fantastic yeah, yeah. I, you don't really want pre-millennial to be no. the thing no. and on millennial it's like you can kind of go both ways yeah that's no. that's totally yeah because i'm like a what's called like a pessimistic on millennial where i still do think things are gonna get pretty bad towards the end but i'm no. still that's that's where i lean and i think yeah it's i think it's helpful when you read this where the author is not trying to tell you like hey this is this is what i think you should say but it's Here's these different interpretations, which is how you laid out in the, end of the last chapter. Here's different interpretations, how they see these interpretations. And you let the reader kind of make his own or her own conclusion based right. off of the evidence that, that you provide at the end. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So on how one interprets uh, reading the book of Revelation is uh, what and maybe what isn't Salvitic? Oh, like the, like what's core, what's core to the book of Revelation? Like what's, what mm -hmm. are the things that we should be believing about Revelation? What, like, what are open-handed, what are closed-handed things about Revelation? I think that's what, that's what Nick's. Nick's yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I would say what's fundamental. So there's a Trinitarian cast to the book. Yeah. The salvation and judgment come from the father, the son, and the spirit. So yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable in the book. Yeah, I think easily missed by people, but Revelation has one of the highest Christologies of mm. the whole of the New Testament. So, so, which I think is actually a good argument that the Apostle John wrote it, right? In the beginning mm. was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We all know, we all know the Gospel of John as an extraordinarily high Christology. Yeah. Well, we see this in Revelation again and again. Mm. The, the both the father and the lamb are put together chapter four god is worshiped as creator chapter five christ is redeemer so right there's going to be a judgment that's non-negotiable yeah. mm -hmm. there's redemption through through the blood of christ those who are saved are those who believe and endure to the end those who side with the beast will be eternally judged um god's judgment is just and righteous and good and true so um i think though there may be other things but off the top of my head those are non-negotiables yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know your view of the millennium well uh, that's that's negotiable right yep. yep the identity of the two witnesses that's negotiable yep your understanding of who the hundred forty-four thousand 
is that's that's negotiable. And I, of course, there's a lot of you know individual details like that as we as we proceed through. How do you understand the relationship between the seals and the trumpets and the bowls? Mm. Well, interpreters disagree. So. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of details. Is Babylon Rome or Jerusalem or something else? That's negotiable. So yeah. that's, I think, what throws people off because they say, mm. oh, look at all these things we're debating on. And there are a lot of things. And that's where we can miss the main message. Mm. I, I mean, I have opinions on all these negotiable things, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I and, and actually I do. I have. I have a pretty long section on the 144,000 in there, for example. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's helpful. Yeah, sticking with the with the theme that's that's clear throughout the Book of Revelation. Sticking with this and allowing the other things that are important but that are open handed to help, like let that theme kind of help us interpret these other open handed issues versus taking these open handed issues and interpreting the theme of the Book of Revelation for us. Is that is that right? That's right. Exactly. exactly. Um, and so with this, and there's <clears throat> there's a term I think some may, ne- may never have heard of, and I think it it helps with our understanding of Revelation. You, you talk about it a little bit in the book, too, um, where Revelation, is it like, is it a strictly chronological book? Is it going from one thing and it's describing events until the very end? Or is it what's called re- like recapitulating things? Is it kind of going over and over? So can you describe those two approaches and, and how how both of those read the book of Revelation? Yeah, yeah. Some people do take the book as a linear, which is a story, right? You start at the beginning and you just progress through chronologically what's going to happen until the end. Yeah. I think that reading is quite unlikely. I do think recapitulation marks the book. What do we mean by recapitulation? Yeah. That is, he, he, John, John brings us to the end of history again and again and again. And th- this is absolutely fundamental mm. to interpret the book, I think. Yeah. So I think John, John will talk about what's happening on earth and then he'll zoom to the end mm. and then he'll start over and zoom to the end again. And I think he does that many times during the book because it's so eschatologically charged. Um, actually, I'm writing. So right now I'm writing. And I don't know if you know the Baker series. I'm writing. Oh, I've, I've heard about it. Yep. Uh, the bigger exegetical commentary. Yep, than yep the- I heard about this. So I did Romans, but now I'm doing Revelation. Ah, there you go. So, you got to kickstart with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually wrote. But you Revelation- had an old Revelation one too. Yeah. And the ESV expository commentary yep, yep. as well. But um, I am just so struck with how John does this repeatedly, brings mm-hmm. us to the end. And so I would argue the seals, trumpets, and the bowls, they all end up at the end. You know, they're not they're not strictly chronological. So I like to use the expression, you know, y'all know what a kaleidoscope is, right? Yep. The kaleidoscope, it's the same materials in it, but you shake it up and you get a different picture. Mm. And and I think that's kind of what John does. It's kind of like a kaleidoscope. He shakes it up and he says, Let me give you another perspective of the same events. Huh. And and I think that's really helpful. And and here's the other thing that I think is fascinating. First John's kind of written that way, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's read First John, he talks about, you know, uh, say right, yeah. love or obedience or confessing Jesus as the Christ. And then he circles back and he talks about him again. Then he circles back and he does it again. And, yeah, it's a repetitive book, kind of on, yeah. on like different ways, though. Yeah, yeah. And different angles on the same thing. And so I think Revelation is uh, very similar to that yeah. with with apocalyptic garb yeah and maybe to to dig into that a little bit you again you you, you talk about this uh, in your book um what are, what are some examples you, you talked about it kind of broad speaking so what what's a specific example that you can you can point to that says okay this is this is kind of this recapitulation theme we see in this within the book of revelation so is there a specific like section of verses that somebody can look at and say okay i see what he's saying when he's saying this is kind of getting repeated over and over again yeah, yeah. Well, I can. So the end in chapter six, we have the six seals. And then when you get to the sixth seal, everything's falling apart, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, yep. everything's imploding. The mountains and islands are moving. And and we come to the end of the chapter and it says, you know, it's the great day of the Lord. The 
we have the wrath of the God and, 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 and of the lamb. And, and John says, who's going to be able to stand? Well, that's the end. This is the final judgment, right? Huh. And, and then what is chapter seven? Well, who's going to be able to stand? Those who are sealed. That, that's the first eight verses. Then nine through 17, which I think is the same group. Hmm. At the end of chapter seven, where are they? They're, they're in heaven because hmm. there's, there's no more crying, no more tears. So John takes us to the final judgment. And then he says in chapter seven, and he ends chapter seven with these people in the new creation. Hmm. But then he starts over again with the, with the trumpets, right? And then the, the, the last trumpet, if you know Handel's Messiah, the kingdom has become the kingdom of the Lord yep, and of yep. Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the end. Mm. We're at the end again. But then in chapter 12, he starts again with the dragon yep. and the woman and then mm -hmm. the priests. But, but then when you come to chapter 14, I would interpret it. Remember, the 144,000 are on Mount Zion with the lamb. Yep. What I, I would argue that's heaven. Yep. They're yep. in heaven. And, and then we have... Babylon, we have all these, you know, believe the gospel, Babylon is falling. And then he talks about hell, right? In chapter 14. And then you have the two judgments. You have the you have the the two harvests at the end. Well, that's the end. Then yeah. you have then you have the seven bowls, and the seven bowls end with it has happened. It's the end. And actually, in one of the seven bowls is Arm, the sixth of the seven bowls is Armageddon. So mm -hmm. that's the end. And then in 17 and 18, you have the judgment of Babylon. Well, that's the end. <laughs> yeah. You know? so, just over and over and over and over and over again. But all different pictures of it. Mm. So, mm. so many people make this mistake where they think, oh, now, now, you know, some I just read a paper recently where they're like, oh, the seven bulls. And then as a result of that, Babylon falls. And I said, no, it's not a result. It's a different picture of the same thing. Hmm. It's not it's not chronological at all. Yeah. Now, now I'm not saying the book isn't chronological. Totally. There is a narrative in the book, right? Yep. Um, there is a we're on Earth and there's a, there's a final judgment, yep. but it isn't. It isn't chronological the way a lot of people think it is, is chronological. So, I mean, this is one of my big ideas in the book. Yeah. When he talks about 42 months, uh, a time, time, and half a time, yep. 1,260 days, lots of interpreters say, well, that re it relates to the very end of history. We have, we're not experiencing that. We, we'll wait to see what happens. But my argument is, a lot of commentators agree with me too. Mm -hmm. My argument is that's the whole period mm -hmm. from, the, from the ascension to the second coming. Yep. So mm -hmm. we're, we're living in those 42 months. Yep. We're living in those 1,260 days. We're living in that time, times, and a half a time. And so um, there, there's a narrative, right? Yep. But those numbers are all symbolic. We've been living in the 1,260 days in the 42 months yep. for 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's but, helpful stuff for, for people getting oriented to the book of Revelation. And one thing I want to say about this that I'm very excited about is because, you know, the way a lot of people interpret Revelation, it's like, well, isn't that fascinating? What will happen to those people at the end? Hmm. Well, how hmm. interesting. How well, that's, that's interesting. Thanks for telling me. Now, what's on TV tonight? Um, <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. But I want to say he's describing the lives of his readers and mm. our lives. This is not, John is not just talking about something that's far distant from us. It's, it's a contemporary mm. analysis of what's going on in the church. Yeah. Mm. So, Thank that's you. That's helpful. Yeah, that's really good. That is super helpful. I appreciate right before that comment um, or comment before the last one, you were talking about like how John keeps going through and this, then this is the end. And then this is the end. It's almost, it kind of sounds like to me, he's saying, let me say it this way. Now let me explain it this way. And let me explain it this way. And I think the that kind of struck me on thinking of it the way you explained made me realize where some people get the disconnect of um, 
when the timing of events happen, like the rapture, there's so much confusion and in interpretation of being like rapture happens before this stuff or during or after. And, and um, the, the reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years is during or after these events. So it, you know, that kind of just came to mind. I don't know if you have any comments on that. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say, the rapture is never mentioned in Revelation, not once. Right. Yeah, There's nothing about the rapture. Yeah, I mean, I think there are other texts we could talk about. Yeah, but... Thessalonians has something to say about it, depending on how you interpret it. Yeah, well, clearly, you know, clearly Thessalonians is talking about the rapture, but the issue is the timing of the rapture. Yeah, you know, people right. ask me all the time, "Do you believe in the rapture?" And I always say, "Well, of course I believe in it." Thessalonians <laughs> yeah. says there will be one. But are you asking me when it will be? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a different question. Yeah. Mm. People use that language very loosely, right? Every every Christian believes in a snatching up, but I believe that snatching up will come at the second coming, actually. Yep. Yep. So not not seven years before the end. I don't think there's any clear evidence yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. But yeah, um, yeah. so um, so many things in the popular mind about revelation you know it's just it's just not in the book i mean there's hardly you know it's in in one way it's rather general which is not mm. surprising right yeah i mean again it depends on how you interpret some specifics yeah, but yeah. i don't i think this is not a prophecy chart let me just put it that way it doesn't work that way it was yep. never intended to work that way and the, the people who do that they've it's what I call, as I already said, newspaper eschatology. Mm -hmm. And if you've been a, alive long enough, as I have, it keeps changing. It keeps changing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Antichrist. Is it John F. Kennedy? Is it, <laughs> uh, is it, is it Robert? Is it Reagan? Mm -hmm. Ronald Wilson Reagan. 666. Think of that. <laughs> you know? yeah. Every one of his names has six letters. Well, um, you know, is it Gorbachev? He had the spot yeah. on his head and, you know, it, it gets, is it Saddam? I've heard that it was Saddam Hussein since I've been alive, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it just keeps going, you know, because it changes as the events yeah. change. And, and also I've done a lot of work reading throughout history and, um, you know, the church always needs to be ready for the end, but you know, every, everybody who's predicted the end so far, precisely, they've been wrong. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're still here, so they've been wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's true. And that's 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 all. Like that's that's incredibly helpful. And I think one of your comments before on there being new creation, and then kind of well, I guess you can call it like not first creation, but what the current creation that we're in, in this heavenly perspective and this earthly perspective within Revelation. So. Um, kind of towards towards our, our the end of our time. So how how does how do those two concepts? How do we see these coming out of the Book of Revelation, where there's this heavenly understanding, or this like this heavenly looking down throughout the Book of Revelation, this earthly looking up through the Book of Revelation? So how how is that manifest throughout the Book of Revelation, especially with that new creation theme being so prominent in Revelation too? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, what I think of immediately is Revelation 12, where the dragon who's been in heaven is cast to the earth. Hmm. And I, I would argue that takes place at the cross. The dragon hmm. is thrown to the earth but because of the cross of Christ. Then he has a short time. Mm -hmm. The short time is the time from the cross to the second coming. Hmm. And um, so, but the victory's already been won. He's been thrown out of heaven. So the woman is preserved on earth during a time of trouble, persecution. But, and, and I think the woman is the church, I should say. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, so the church is being preserved. And then in 21 and 22, which I think is very symbolic, we have this whole picture of the new creation that's coming. So I think John is saying to a people persecuted on earth, he's saying, Look what awaits you. And it's going to be amazing. But how do you describe the future? You can't. So he describes it as it's indescribably beautiful. So you have, you know, all these beautiful stones, right? Amethysts, carnelians, 
so forth, you know, emeralds, so forth and so on. The, the, the new creation is as beautiful as luminous stones. It's as safe as a city with walls around it. Of course, you know, in our day, that'd be useless. No, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's useless to have walls around your city. You just yeah. bomb, right? But in John's day, that symbolized security. But how secure is it? The gates of the city are thrown wide open. You know, there's no use to have walls around a city if you leave your gates open. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but John's, John's point is, this city is so safe, you you don't really even need the walls. It's <laughs> so, so they're all pictures. We, we, and, and, and of course, the greatest thing of all for John is um, you, you will see God's face. Yeah. We, we will have a fellowship with him that exceeds uh, our fellowship now. So I think John wants to say to the readers, look, heaven's coming to earth. There, there's a new creation. It's coming down. I'm, I'm not talking literally now. Yeah. There, there's going to be a transformation of the new creation. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be beautiful and lovely and fulfill every desire. And I think he's saying to the readers who are suffering, don't, don't, don't abandon Jesus. The, the, the dragon and the two beasts and Babylon, they're, you know, we say this to now, they're on the losing side of history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. It may seem more comfortable to side with them now, but don't do it. John's saying, because at the, in the end, you'll be, you'll be sad you did. Yeah. So, so again, even that theme of new creation, which is wonderful and beautiful, it's all pastoral. It's all, it's all calling upon the church, not to compromise and to endure and to keep trusting in Jesus uh, in, in a world that's not so easy. Yeah. And that's, and I think it's great that I mean, these are being pointed out, this new creation theology, this heaven and earth perspective. And it also helps us, I think kind of on a, on a not a regular level, but on a, on a, let's understand scripture it helps us understand a lot of the, a lot of the symbolism. So some of this, some of the numbers come in when we're looking from heaven, some of the numbers come in when we're looking from earth. Um, so I mean, maybe, maybe quickly, if you, if you can describe how does this understanding, this dual perspective help us understand some of these symbolisms or these numbers that come in saying 42 months, but coming from the perspective of heaven or a thousand years coming from the perspective of heaven. So how does, how does this grid maybe help us understand how to interpret the book of revelation as well? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to jump on something else, but you can come back to me. Because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when, when we read Revelation 21 and 22, he picks up all this language from Ezekiel 40 through 48. Yep, yep. Ezekiel 40 through 48. The temple is, language, yeah. Is all about the building of the temple. Yep. But what's really fascinating is John tells us there is no temple mm. in the new creation. God and the Lamb are the temple. So I think John helps us interpret Ezekiel so that we recognize no, the fulfillment of Ezekiel's promise is not the building of a physical temple on earth. No, the fulfillment of that promise is in the new creation when, the, when God and the Lamb fill the whole, and, and the Spirit too, I don't want to leave out the Spirit, fill the whole universe. The whole mm -hmm. universe becomes the temple. And of course, Greg mm -hmm. Beale has done some work on this as well. His yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Book temple. So that helps us interpret Ezekiel. You know, uh, a lot of people have said, oh, well, there's there's got to be a literal temple built in the future. But I actually think John helps us see, no, that's not, that's not what Ezekiel's doing. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's incredibly helpful. Yeah, we, we didn't really get into the, to the Old Testament imagery within this, but the Old Testament imagery just laced throughout Revelation. Which is what, so that I always say to the students, how do we interpret Revelation? Not newspaper eschatology, but via the Old Testament. There are almost every verse has an allusion to the Old Testament. Yeah. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I read this from. Maybe it was. I mean, it might have been Doctor Glad who told us, or Doctor Beale. I mean, it might have been Doctor Beale. Um, but it was, it was something like old, like the Old Testament's almost not directly quoted ever, but it's alluded to just about everywhere. Exactly. That's exactly right. No, no introductory formulas, but 
it permeates the book. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's almost like if you don't have the Old Testament next to you with, with the book of Revelation, it's, it's hard to understand. Which, which again, that I say always to my students, why do we have a hard time interpreting the book of Revelation? We don't know the Old Testament. Uh, we don't yeah. know the Old Testament. And so then, then we try to read it off, con say, contemporary events or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple, couple questions and statements on my end, if it's okay. I, I think uh, it underlined the importance of Pentecost. I mean, when Pentecost entered the picture, the Holy Spirit coming, uh, taking over the church age, I think it sounds like that moment is what started the church age, which is uh, the end times. That's right. That's right. The last days, we're in the last days. I mean, yeah. as... First John says it's the last hour, yep. which is another picture, I think, of the last 2,000 years. Yep, totally. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And then um, also, um, not sure if you address this in the book, but it's based on my own curiosity. If and how does Revelation go back full circle and relate to Genesis? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do a lot with that uh, particularly, but there is a great book by Dumbrell. I don't know if you know. That. Oh, yeah. William, is that William Dumbrell? Is that? Yeah, at yeah. the end and the beginning or something, or the beginning and the end. Yeah. I forget what it's uh, mm. titled exactly. But we see a lot of uh, imagery in yep. Revelation, which says, you know, you have the old creation and then you have the fulfillment in the new creation, I mean, we can mm -hmm. pick up a number of themes, but, you know, the tree of life, for example, which is a very prominent theme. So that, so the, the original promise given to Adam and Eve, that they would rule the world under God's lordship. Yep. That, that's part of the reward promised to believers. I yep. think it's, there's an already not yet dimension. We, we are God's priests and Kings now, as I think Adam was in the garden. Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve, yep. but but that is going to be fully fulfilled um, in the new creation. What that will look like exactly, we don't know, but I think the vice regency that human beings are to exercise under God's lordship, which were set up for in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, yep. Revelation emphasizes that will be fulfilled uh, in, in the new creation. I also, I also think there's there are different views in church history about this. I'm sure you're aware of this. Some people think Revelation and, and the New Testament teaches that this present world will be annihilated and God yeah. will recreate a new world. Yeah. Others, others think this world will be transformed. Yeah. And I, I hold that second view. Yeah, same here. Yep. So there's a, con there's a continuity between that original creation in Genesis and the new creation in, um, in Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an incredibly helpful. Maybe my last question slash comment before, before if Nick has anything else before we, before we end this out, um, and we, we already alluded to it um, for, for lack of better words, how, how is, and we talked about it a little bit, how is revelation using old Testament imagery? How, how is it developing these things? And, and when reading the old Testament and almost like, can, can you read, the, can you read Revelation without knowing your Old Testament really well? And how does it how does it help us read Revelation, knowing these imageries, knowing where he's pulling from? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really hard to understand Revelation if you don't know your Old Testament well. That's the yeah. first I'd say. We we always have to be we. So we have to know that Old Testament context. Uh, I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah. But but at the same time. We have to know the New Testament context yeah. because John, I don't think he violates the Old Testament meaning, but he tweaks it. Yep. Yep. So, yep. I mean, just to give you an example, in, in uh, Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days, and it's yeah. the Ancient of Days who has the white hair. But in, in, the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, when the Son of Man appears, it's the Son of Man who has the white hair. Yeah. Now, like, what's going on? Did John yeah. forget what Daniel <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I think John is making a very profound point, namely totally. that the Son of Man shares the same identity and nature as the Ancient of Days. Yeah. So he tweaks it a little bit, but you don't see it if you don't know Daniel. 
Yeah, he's right. making a theological point with the tweet. He's making a theological point and saying something about the Son of Man's identity that uh, is really fully divine. Yeah. So, so if you don't know the Old Testament, well, first of all, if you don't know the Old Testament, what does that image mean, even of the white hair? We <laughs> Just really, old man. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> you have no idea. We, we got to begin with, hey, that that that's a revelation of who God is in Daniel chapter seven, hmm. and the same like who. You know, we could talk all day, couldn't we? But who are these four living creatures? Yeah, yeah. In, in, in Revelation chapter four, well, there's you, you. There's no way you can understand them if you haven't read Ezekiel. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in Ezekiel chapter one, Ezekiel chapter ten. So we get a good understanding of oh, he's drawing on Ezekiel here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's just true again and again. You could guess all day, but go back to the Old Testament. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful because it's it's almost like if you and I know there's more illusions than just this, but a lot of the dominant illusions within Revelation to help you understand this is you got a, a lot of Ezekiel, you have a lot of Daniel, and you have a little bit of Genesis. You have you have a lot of these books helping us understand what Revelation is, yeah. and John, in a sense, reinterpreting and saying, "Hey, this is this this Revelation's progressed to the point where I'm telling you that one that you saw in Dan, or in Daniel seven, I'm telling you that's Jesus." Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would add two other books, Isaiah mm-hmm. and Zechariah. Mm-hmm. So yep. those, you yep. know, so it's Daniel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, Zechariah, yes, Genesis. Yep. Those books are, I mean, obviously knowing the whole Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's some dominant images and illusions used throughout. Let's just say he doesn't do a lot with the Song of Songs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And a, a couple other uh, well-known uh, symbolism things in in Revelation mentioned is uh, the mark of mark on the forehead and uh, the right hand. And I think I think if I'm not mistaken, that's best characterized as. Um, identity and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a mark on your forehead, uh, that's more of your identity, who you belong to. So you're either part of the world or um, part of Christ. And if it's on your right hand, it's it's who you're loyal to. Um, there's even mentions of like even uh, Jesus is at the right hand of God. So um, if you have the mark of the beast on your right hand, that means you're loyal to beast, right? Am I on the right track with that? Yes. And I would argue that Mark is probably not something literal. Yeah. Right. You exactly. Know? So yeah. I, I yeah. So, I mean, clearly chapter 14, if you if you receive the mark of the beast, you're gonna to be tormented yep. and uh suffer forever and ever and ever. So you've you've thrown your lot in with the with the beast and the false prophet and the dragon. Yep. So mm-hmm. you you've you're exactly right you've given your loyalty your allegiance your worship to the to them and mm-hmm. uh so yeah so i i understand this so i i agree with greg beale the 666 is not in any individual person yeah but refers to like the kingdom of uh man over yep. against the kingdom of god a, a yeah, yeah yeah so seven 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 would be the perfect number six six designates that which yeah that's yeah it's precisely yeah i think yeah that's how we've been saying that's how i see it too yeah six because the man was created on the sixth day and it's not quite yet perfection which is the seventh day the sabbath so you see yeah that's he's not he's not he's not perfect so he's he's man he's beast he's 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 not to that to that end age of the sabbath yeah yeah no that's 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 good stuff and i i think um, for I think for your average person, this this book is I think really helpful. It's not it's not written at too high of a level. There, there's some there's some original language um, within this too that I think some, but it's it's all I think it's packaged in a way that your average person hopefully can read this and benefit from. Um, pastors and and I don't know if you if you had a specific group in mind when you're writing this um, to pastors or lay level, like who who are you hoping most benefits from from this book? Like what? What kind of demographic, if, if, if you could use that word? Yes, exactly. Students, pastors, interested lay people. You know, this is, uh, uh, this is, I think, a book that anybody interested in studying the Bible can understand. I mean, it's not written at a, it's not like the easiest book in the world to read, right? It's not like reading <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter or something. Yeah. 
but it's uh, it's written at an accessible level, and it's and it's short. You yeah. know, it's only, we like 180 tried, pages, something like that. Yeah, well, and uh, 55,000 words. So, yeah. well, I think in terms of words, so <laughs> these, <right>. these <laughs> books, these books, uh, they can be read probably in a maybe a couple evenings. Yeah. It's, Mm. You, you know, uh, it's not like, oh, wow, I'm taking on this this huge project. And that's one of the designs of this whole series, because we're doing a book on every book of the New Testament. Mm. And uh, we want them to be readable yep. and accessible to people. Yeah, yeah. So we, we talked a little bit before before recording. Um, and just so people can be looking forward to what's coming next, what's, I know your son is writing the next volume, which we're going to be interviewing him on in December, um, to come out for January, but what's, what's kind of on the docket that's next for, for this series. Yeah. It's kind of ironic. The next, the next book that's coming out is by my son, Patrick. (laughs) I think it's really a a great book on acts. I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. I know I'm biased, but I really, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really think it is great. I'm really excited about that volume. You know, coming down the road really quickly, Ben Merkel on Ephesians, which is, you know, such an important book. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Peter Orr from Australia on Mark, uh, just a fabulous volume. We have Ben Glad is almost done with Luke. Yep. So um, I don't know what's coming after that. Those, <laughs> yeah. those are the ones we've received, but the the series we're, we're excited. They're going to be coming out pretty fast and quickly. And yeah, I mean, the whole series should be done in uh, four or five years. Oh, wow. So wow. We're, we're really excited about it. And it's like five books a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the hope anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And they're accessible. So when I get them, you know, I read them and edit them. And of course I do this for a living, but I can, you, you know, I just, I'm thinking like, wow, it's not, you know, sometimes you get a project and you think, what am I going to do this? But they're short, you know, yeah. I can read it pretty, pretty quickly and edit them and send them on. It's usually, it doesn't take me a lot of time. And yeah. So I think that's another encouragement to pick up these books and read them. They're just nice, nice entrees into these uh, New Testament books. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. Even the, the PDFs that we've gotten and the little snippets we've seen, they're, the, at least the one from your son, I'm sure the, the rest in this one as well. Um, they're incredible. They're mm-hmm. some of the, some of the theology that's brought out. It's, it, it's like almost when you see it, it's like, well, this is obvious. How did I not see this before? Well, and the yeah. way it's being brought out and it, it's, it's at a, a very easy level. So it's props to props to you guys, the editors and, and the authors. Um, this would be an incredible, I, I think, contribution to the church. Yeah, we are, so, we are so happy with our contributors. And we really have, you know, we have an international team, you know, uh, Brian Rosner's Australian. So uh, actually, because of that, we pulled quite a few Australians into the series. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, which is, which is really helpful. And, yeah. you know, some of the books like First, Second Timothy and Titus we're doing together. Okay. First and Second Thessalonians will be together. First, yeah. Second and Third John. So there won't be 27 books, mm. maybe maybe 20 i forget how many yeah yeah mm. no that sounds that sounds good but before we end so how, how can people find you how, like what are you on social media how can people find out the work that you're doing that that's coming up yeah i'm 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 uh, on twitter i what is my handle i think it's at dr tom schreiner somebody actually made that handle for me <laughs> yeah. i think that's what it is I have a faculty page at Southern. I teach at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So you could, you know, just Google Southern Seminary and I'm there. But I'm not I'm not on Facebook. I've I've resisted. Uh, I've re- I've resisted the beast and the false prophet in that way. So. <laughs> Very nice. Well, um, I guess for for my last closing uh, request or question would be. Um, just a, a last kind of remark from you based on, you know, what we have uh, scripture in front of us today, which is just amazing that God has revealed himself through scripture. We have uh, the book of Revelation included in that, which was the, the focus of today's conversation. Um, and then we have uh, people like you that have really helped the church explain what was in scripture. So we, we can kind of bridge that gap and, and help you know, uh, unpack that for us and have these conversations. So now practically standing in 2021, 
what do we do with this information in front of us? How do we feel comforted as Christians? And what's our call to do moving forward during this um, church age, uh, end of times uh, time right now? Yeah, that, that is a great question, Nick. I, I, one, one way to answer it is this. What, what does Revelation give us? It gives us hope. Can't, you can't make it in life without hope. You know, it, and sometimes we go through terrible things, right? Maybe you have terminal cancer or whatever it is, uh, mm. or you're in a very stressful time. But, but what does Revelation say? It says, um, we win. <laughs> you know, maybe I, I like baseball. Maybe it's the top mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. Or the, we're batting in the bottom of the ninth inning and we're behind nine to nothing. But we know something. We win this game, you know. And when you know you win at the end of the day through Christ, not through our own strength, right? Because of God, we have serve a sovereign God. It gives us hope in the hardest times and the hardest places of our lives. And we all need that. Yeah, life can be discouraging. It can be depressing. It can be difficult. We don't face those things all the time, but we do face those things. And and Revelation reminds us, um, we we serve a, a loving, just, and victorious God. Yeah, and uh, he is uh, he is not a weak God. He is the sovereign. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as it says of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. um, you know, have hope. Um, you know, we can very easily be like, oh, everything's going terrible. Um, and there's truth in that, right? Revelation tells us there's truth in that. Yeah. That life on earth can be very hard, but never, never give up hope. We, we belong, we belong to the, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are, uh, will bring us into that heavenly city. And even now they sustain us by we 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 are sustained by the grace of god and that's how he begins the book right grace and peace to you grace and peace to you from the father from the seven spirits i think that's the holy spirit yep and from jesus christ so and then he ends the book with grace right god god's giving us his grace so we we rejoice in that amen yeah well great yeah thanks thanks for coming on thanks for talking about this and in a in a sense we're we're talking to a part of you in about a month so thanks thanks for thanks for giving us your son so it's um yeah it's it's been great for it's been great having you on and and hopefully we can do this again and we look forward to having having a part of your family again in, in about oh, a month no that'll I, i'll i'll really enjoy listening to your conversation with pat <laughs> yeah so. yeah well thanks and and we yeah we uh we hope to talk to you again, and this will be a great contribution to the church. And yeah, for people who are listening, this is this is a book of hope and a book of a book of we we have won this battle through through the sun. So yeah, thanks for coming on, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank thank you so much, Peter and Nick. Great to be with you. Thank you. Are you looking for Reformed Church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's. Welcome to Reform Church beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or head to either GuiltGracePod or SantaAnnaURC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you, after you rate and review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. 
it helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. And yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll, it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.